This morning, you'll see your notes in the bulletin, but we're going to need to begin in Genesis chapter 25 first. Last Sunday, we talked about Father Abraham based on Romans chapter 9, and today our next passage of Scripture talks about Father Isaac. Genesis chapter 25, when you get there, say word. Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 19, and we're going to read the context of what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 9. Starting in verse 19. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as the wife, the daughter of Bethuel, uh, Syrian, Padam, Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But within her womb, the children struggled together. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? George, they were having a wrestling match inside, man. I mean, the bell hadn't even clicked, and they were going at it. So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. That's just funny to me. He was like a hairy garment all over. I bet he got picked on in middle school. So they called his name Esau, which literally means hairy. Afterward, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, which literally means one who grabs the heel. Now, in our culture, we would say, I'm pulling your leg. That means I'm deceiving you. In their culture, they would say, I'm grabbing your heel. That means they're deceiving you. So he was literally called the one who deceives because he came out grabbing the heel. So one of them, uh, let's see, verse 30 Uh, One of them is called Harry. The other one's called Deceiver. I'm so glad we don't name our children like that today. All right. Um, so, So it says in verse 27, the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man living among the tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now this is the context of what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 9. So let us open there, um, if you would, because that's our focus today. And we need to understand this story to understand how Paul is connecting this with uh, his theme in chapter 9, which is the sovereignty of God in salvation. So we're going to 
Romans chapter 9. And we're going to be in verse 10. If you're there, say word. Verse 10 says, and not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived from one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil thing, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, being Rebekah, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now, we're going to pause there. That last verse, Apostle Paul is quoting the book of Malachi, in which God is speaking to Israel, saying, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. Now, I'm going to tell you guys, in almost four years of pastoral ministry here, this is probably one of the most difficult texts that I've ever encountered. But the book of James says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally. So I pray God gives us wisdom today. We're going to see three things in our sermon today about this theme that Paul uses of election. And at the top of your notes, you'll see that election means that we are called out for his name. The first thing we're going to notice about election and the narrative of Scripture is that God called out his nation for his son. God called out his nation for his son. When I say he called out his nation, I'm referring to uh, Isaac's son, Jacob, who is later renamed Israel, okay? We always talk about Father Abraham have many sons, but really the only one that the promise and the covenant came through was Isaac, and the only son of Isaac who the promise and the covenant came through was Jacob, and Jacob was renamed Israel, from whom all 12 tribes of Israel descended from this person, Jacob, who literally was named Deceiver, For his whole life, he was deceiving people. He was deceiving uh, um, um, his brother out of his own birthright. He deceived his father to get the blessing. He deceived his uncle Laban. No, I'm sorry. Laban deceived him and gave him a switcheroo on the wife thing. But then he turns around and he deceives Laban because he gets all the good cattle. And he sets it up so that all the strong cattle come to him and all the weak cattle go to Laban. Now, folks, this is the guy who is called Israel. Do you know what Israel means? It means one who struggles with God. That is what the people of God are called. The one who struggles or wrestles with God. So we have this picture inside the womb. They're wrestling for competition. And for the rest of his life, he's wrestling to try To stay in God's blessing. To keep God's blessing. And this deceiver is the one that God allows to father the nations of Israel. God called out his nation for his son. And what we're going to see that for the purpose election, it has nothing to do with the goodness of Jacob. 
God's sovereignty has nothing to do with how good of a person Jacob was. Everyone's still here today. Amen. Amen. Dean, I need us to get a little fired up. Because the Old Testament is not about how good people were. If you're a Sunday school teacher or vacation Bible school teacher or you teach your grandchildren about the, the Bible, don't ever use an Old Testament story to show your kids a role model of how we're to act. None of it is intended that way. And honestly, when I grew up in Sunday school, this is how it was. Noah was a good person. Be like Noah. Abraham was a good person. Be like Abraham. My friends, that's not the point of the Bible. The point of the Bible is that none of us were good persons, but Jesus was the righteous person, and without the righteousness that comes from him, I can never be good. No one can be good by following the pattern of Noah. No one can be good by following the pattern of Abraham. We can only be good with an imputed righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. I want us to notice in the original language that the word for election is made up of two composite parts. The first is ek, which means out from. That's where we get our word exit, is from the Greek word ek, out from. The second is lego, which means spoken to a final conclusion. So the word election means ek lego. It means summoned out for a conclusion. Okay, am I talking uh, pig Latin here or am I making sense? The word election means ek, summoned out, called out, lego, for a conclusion. Summoned out for a conclusion, ek, lego. It means that we have been, the nation was, was drawn out and called out for God's purpose. Okay? He says, in verse 11, before they had done anything good or evil, that the purpose of election might stand. Not according to him who works, but to him who calls. That means the reason that Jacob was chosen to be the father of the Israel nations is not because he's a good person. Do you see that in the text today? Do you see that in verse 11? Before they had done anything, good or evil, that the purpose of election, meaning being called out for a purpose, might stand, not of him who works, but of him who calls, so God will be glorified, so Jacob can never stand before God or stand before anybody and say, look how good I've been to earn the the father of Israel. Now here's what some of y'all need to get today, and I'm going to fast forward. None of us are called by God because we deserve it. And there's some people that think we still have to deserve it even after we're called. That's impossible. It is impossible. If you didn't deserve it before you were called, you will never deserve it after you're called. And if we think we are, we're self-righteous Pharisees. If we think we're better than anybody else, we have not seen the grace of Jesus. So I want to explain some of the other language that Paul is using in Romans 9. At the end, he quotes this verse from Malachi. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. That's in Malachi chapter 1 if you want to write it down. And that context is that Israel is doubting 
the love of God over them. Israel, at the time, is doubting that God loves them. So, so here's what God says. He says, you doubt? Well, listen. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to be a real spiritual preacher. Let me come down. I always had a problem with that. I, I had a problem understanding how God could hate anybody. Anybody else like me? I said last week, Josh, thank you, praise God. One honest person, two more honest people in the house of God. Last week I said the Bible is hard, and then I got to this passage, and I'm like, it's harder. I had a problem with this. God hated somebody? So let's research what language God is using in Malachi. You see, in the context of Jacob... To be loved means that Jacob had God's affection and favor set upon him. And according to what God said to Rebekah, the older, being Esau, will serve the younger. He sold his birthright. He did not have the family blessing. Honestly, Jacob was a, Esau was a country boy, not too smart. He wanted some soup and gave up his birthright for soup. He's, he's not smart, guys, all right? I'm going to break it down on PJV, Preacher Jesse version. Esau, not smart. He gave up his birthright for some soup. God's favor was not on him. God's affection was not on Esau, but it was on Jacob. Why? So the purpose of election might stand. Now, later on, if you want to write this down, Genesis 29, 31... We're going to see that Jacob had one wife, Leah, and another wife, Rachel. If you don't remember that story, Jacob went to live with Laban. Now, this is the guy named Deceiver, right? (laughs) He'd been deceiving his brother. So this is the most awesome story. I love this. He'd been deceiving people his whole adolescence. And he goes to live with Laban, and he sees this beautiful, beautiful wife, Or or a beautiful young lady named Rachel. Now, here's what the Bible says. This is where the Bible gets good. It says that Laban's daughter Leah was tender-eyed. But Rachel was lovely. The Bible is too nice. Okay? Mm. You ever had someone show you a picture of their baby? And here's the nicest way to say it. Mm, She is tender eyed. (laughs) That means the eyes are the nicest thing about her. Because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that that Rachel was lovely, but but Leah was tender eyed. Okay? So so Jacob fell in love with Rachel. And he he says, Laban, what must I do to marry This beautiful girl, Rachel. He says, work for me for seven years. So he works for Laban for seven years, gets to his wedding day, and after the celebration, he goes on his honeymoon night, and Laban does a switcheroo and puts the tender-eyed girl in the house. (laughs) Can you imagine working seven years for a woman, and you wake up, and she tender-eyed? This ain't what I signed up for. And he comes, to, he comes to Jacob and he says, 
what in the world? Well, he comes to Laban and says, what in the world are you thinking? And Laban says, it's not our custom to give away our, our uh, younger daughter before the older. So I gave her to you first because that's our custom. Well, don't you think you need to tell me the custom? He got deceived. The one who'd been deceiving got deceived. But he said, I'll tell you what. In one week, I'll give you Rachel as your other wife. Now he's got to put up with two. He says, I'll give you Rachel as your other wife. And then if you work for me for seven more years. Now here's the thing. He loved Rachel so much that he worked seven more years. Now in Genesis 29, 31, here's what the scripture says. Talking about... The situation, it says that Jacob had one wife, Leah, and another, Rachel. And it says that God realized that Rachel was loved. And here's what the scripture says. Leah was unloved. Leah was unloved. She was married to to Jacob, but was unloved. That's the same Hebrew word for hated. So see this context. Jacob placed his affection and favor on on the bride of his heart, Rachel. But Leah, even though she was betrothed to him, his affection and favor were not on her, so she was unloved, which the Hebrew renders as hated. In the context of Hebrew thought, To be hated means God's favor does not rest on you. To be loved means God's favor does rest on you. So when we see this verse that Paul's quoting Malachi, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated, it means my favor and affection rested upon Jacob, but my favor and affection never rested upon Esau. And here's what he's telling Israel. I have always loved you. From the beginning, I have loved you. From Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, I have loved you. You are my Israel. You are my precious possession. And if you were here last week, because we're the New Testament church, we're engrafted into the promise of Abraham. Amen. So we are in that promise. Praise the Lord. That means God's affection has always been upon Jacob and Israel. So let's put that back in the context of chapter 9 of Romans. The context is that Paul is declaring not all of Israel belong to the promise of God. There were some in the New Testament that were Jewish believers who were now believing the Messiah and the other ones who were legalistic Pharisees were not believing the Messiah. And some of them were claiming, because I'm an Israelite, I'm under God's promise. And here's what Paul is trying to say. The promise is not according to flesh. It is according to the favor of God. It's not according to your... your, your patriarchal lineage it's not according to you know your daddy might be a preacher or or you may be on the deacon board it's not according to that it's according to the favor of God that rests upon you he explains in Romans chapter 9 that Abraham had another son Ishmael and it was the descendants of Isaac, not Ishmael, to whom the promise was carried out. So Abraham had a son. Isaac had a son. Ishmael, the promise went to Isaac. And then Isaac had a son. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Guess what? The promise didn't go to all of Abraham's descendants, did it? It didn't go to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Esau. No, it went Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Esau became an inferior nation who always was in uh, uh, opposition to the Israelites. 
So the descendants of Abraham, being Esau, were not in the covenant blessing. And do you know why? Before they were ever born, God's election set upon Jacob. Esau became a desolate people. The promise went to Jacob. So even though the original promise came to Abraham, it was not by flesh that that promise was received. And so here's the grand scheme of Paul's communication in Romans chapter 9. Just because someone is a Jew does not mean they're in the promise. And as we said last week, the Old Testament is God's story of preparing a people that would bring the promised Messiah. Why did he raise up Jacob? Why did he raise up Isaac, it was for his purpose and for his sovereignty so that his purpose and election might stand. The second thing we can understand about God's election, point number two is this. God is calling out his church for his glory. God is calling out his church. Now, you remember how I said election was made up of two participles, ek and lego, means summoned for a purpose. Here's the word church in the New Testament. The word church is ekklesia. Same root word, ek, meaning called out. Ek, meaning called out, and then kaleo. Oh, I'm sorry, ek, meaning summoned out, and kaleo means to call. So the church in the New Testament, the ekklesia, is those who have been summoned for God's call. Just like the word election. The ekklesia are those who have been called by God. God And throughout the letters of Paul, he reiterates this point. Look in your notes, 1 Corinthians 1, 2. Here's what he said. To the church, meaning ecclesia, those who are summoned by God. To those sanctified, set apart in Christ Jesus, called to be his holy people. What does that word call? It's kaleo. So he says to the summoned ones, the church, who are set apart, sanctified in Christ Jesus, and kaleo called... To be holy. Now one time I had a guy, he told me, you have to be careful when reading the Pauline epistles because he was very influenced by Greek thought. I ain't never been careful when reading any of the Bible. The only thing I'm careful about is to make sure I live to it. Amen? But I should have had the unction to tell that gentleman that he has a very low view of Scripture because all Scripture was breathed by God according to 2 Timothy 3.16. This means that the Holy Spirit knew what Paul was going to speak before he ever wrote anything. Can we? I, I'm glad somebody's a Baptist here today. Because <laughs> we believe in a high view of Scripture that the Word of God is inerrant. And if it's in the Word of God, it means God put it there. I ain't got to be careful in reading Paul. Because I'm reading the revelation of God. And if we need to be careful, then we need to basically be careful of half the New Testament because Paul wrote half of that. And you know why Paul contained Greek thought? It's because the Holy Spirit wanted it there. So let's focus on a high view of Scripture, which means that God declared what would be his word. So in that one verse, Scripture is saying the same thing over and over again. The church is called out, set apart, and called to be holy. Let me tell you something. If you're the church, you're called. I don't know much, but I know that. Yesterday I did a wedding. Guess what? They said, I do. They said, I promise. And they gave each other a ring. Said, with this ring, I do that. You know, they said it three times. I think by the end of it, they said, I love you. Paul just said something three times in this one verse. You're called, set apart, 
The church. I think God, I think Paul's telling us we are called by God. So here's my question. Do any of you think that you were better than Paul? Do you think you were not in needs of God's intervention and calling? No, quite the opposite, because Paul had full ability of the entire law in the Old Testament, all the prophets, all the wisdom literature. Did you know that a normal Orthodox Jew would have memorized the entire Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, number, Revelation? I'm sorry, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, number, Deuteronomy. A normal Orthodox Jew would have memorized the first five books of the Bible, which Paul would have had in his heart, and he still missed Jesus. The average one of us probably has memorized between three and ten verses. And Paul had thousands of verses. And he missed Jesus. You think because we got three or ten, we have it figured out? No, we were in need of God's intervention and calling. Let me make it simple. We needed God's call. Without God's intervention, we would still be serving self. And some people who come to church, just because they're in church, does not mean God has called you. Amen? You be in church for about more than two weeks and you'll understand not everybody's there need to be there. Don't worry, you can say amen because they're probably sitting beside you. <laughs> Just don't say it too loud. There's some that come to church because they think it makes them better people. They're still looking to be that hero like Noah, not understanding that righteousness can only come through Jesus Christ. That's why 2 Peter 1.10 says, be diligent to make your calling and election sure. Make sure you've been called by God. Make sure. Lastly, God is calling out missionaries for his name. God is calling out missionaries for his name. Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, Speaking of Paul, the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name. That word chosen in the Greek is the same word for election. Meaning that Paul was selected, ek lego, summoned for God's name. Now if Paul was a chosen instrument, guess what you are? A chosen instrument for God's name. You're not here to fulfill your own purposes. You're not a Christian to make your life happy. You're not a Christian so you can do whatever you want and have the blessing of God. You're a Christian for God's purpose. So what is the purpose of God's calling? It's so that the name of Jesus will be spread throughout the entire earth. That's God's purpose. This week in our church, God has called 14 missionaries from our own church body to continue declaring the name of Jesus in the country of Haiti. Right now in New York, we have 16 missionaries who are declaring the name of Jesus in upstate New York among the people of Rochester. Someone once asked me, how do you know that you are called to be a pastor? And my answer was this. When you realize that you can't do anything else You were called. When you can't do anything else, you were called. I tell young men and women all the time, if you can do something else, go do it. 
God doesn't need me. <laughs> Amen. God doesn't need you. He can do whatever he wants to do. But he calls us. And for some of you here today, maybe God is calling you right now. Maybe he's calling you to be a pastor or a missionary or maybe a Christian. Maybe you hear the call of God in your heart to walk in the knowledge of his grace. And if we are called, it is because of God's election, not our own. Did you know that no president elects themselves? That's why it's called election. It means somebody else nominates you. Somebody else puts you in there. You know, no Christian nominates themselves. The recurring pattern of Scripture is that God elects. This is the doctrine of election. 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul said, This letter is from Paul, a ch- chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. If it was true for Paul, it was true for me and you. <laughs> One time I heard a lady say, if Paul used King James, I'm going to use it too. Well, English hadn't been invented for another 1,600 years. But if it's true for Isaac, if it's true for Jacob, if it's true for Paul, if it's true for Israel, then it's true for me and you. Not by good that we have done, but by him who wills that he is called Let's have a prayer of invitation.